Hi, welcome to episode 43 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. My normal co-host, Stephen Gallo, is taking a well-deserved vacation this weekend next. I know that I'm far too boring to go it solo, so I reached out to BMO senior economist Jennifer Lee and asked her to join me. She has graciously accepted, and today we will be discussing the parallel slowdown in the global economy and surge in global inflation. The title for this week's episode is Making Sense of Global Recession Risks. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Hi, listeners. Thanks for joining us. Today is Tuesday, May 17th, and we're recording in the North American morning. For our listeners who aren't familiar with uh, Jennifer Lee's research, her primary areas of focus in the economics team is outside of Canada. So she tracks the major economies of Europe and the Asia Pacific region, uh, along with the US. She's a key contributor to the bank's forecasts for economic variables, uh, as well as policy initiatives that might be undertaken by official entities, such as the ECB, uh, BOJ, et cetera. So uh, Jennifer, on that note, I wanted to kick us off today with a quick discussion of the second print of the Eurozone's Q1 GDP numbers. In terms of headline GDP growth, the Eurozone came in better than the US in Q1. What do you make of that? Would it be fair to say that the Eurozone's economy was healthier than the US's in Q1? No, I will say that it's definitely not fair to say that the euro area economy is stronger than the U.S. With these sorts of numbers, you can't take these headline figures at face value. Just take a look at the U.S. If you can remember, the headline GDP uh, decline was dragged down by a surge in imports and slower inventory accumulation. Those are all indications of very strong domestic demand. So when you strip out those factors, domestic demand was still up a solid 2% annualized in Q1. So again, you can't take these figures at face value. Now for Europe, despite the stronger headline increase, there are a lot more headwinds facing the region. You're probably hearing the word stagflation being batted about recently as it applies to Europe, just high inflation and slowing growth, the fear of energy supplies being cut off by their biggest supplier. Now for the full year, for 2022, we are looking for actually similar growth rates, 2.5% for the US, 2.5% for the Euro area but for different reasons. For the U.S., it's due to high inflation and the Fed basically hitting the brakes on demand um, with aggressive policy rate hikes. And for Europe, it's just due to weaker consumer spending, weaker business investment, just due to uncertainty over the war, surging inflation, and to a lesser extent, ECB rate hikes. So, Jennifer, 
I assume our forecasts for global GDP are quite a bit lower now than where they were at at the start of the year. Could you walk us through our latest global GDP forecast and then point out any regions that are worth highlighting? That assumption is 100% correct. We actually started off the year with global growth at 4.5%, and we just cut our global GDP growth forecast to 3.0%, for 2022, which is below the two-decade average that existed before the pandemic. Now, we had been trimming already China, Europe, the U.S., just given the lockdowns and inflation, but the latest cut was made to China. We are now looking for 3.5% growth in China this year. Before this, it was 4.5%, and this is even further below the government's official about 5.5% call, which is looking more and more elusive. Now, this came after the string of weak April numbers. Let me just uh, share them with you. Retail sales, industrial reduction, car sales, all below year-ago levels in April. And here's an interesting factoid. There are apparently zero car sales in all of Shanghai last month, which is crazy to think about. Exports were growing at their slowest pace since the early pandemic days, and imports were unchanged from a year ago. So right now, the local Shanghai government is planning to return to normal life starting on June 1st or until mid to late June. It's going to happen in stages, and it's going to be slow, but at least there is a plan in place. Now, there is a chance that our 3.5% uh growth forecast for China is too low. And we, of course, can revise it higher, but that's if the lockdowns truly end in June and do not spill over into the second half of the year. Then we could potentially see a big rebound in pent-up demand. And, you know, we've seen that elsewhere before. But meantime, the risks are to the downside. Of course, the global outlook before this was already being hurt by supply shortages, which were a result of massive demand for goods from consumers during the pandemic. Then by the reopenings, And that saw the demand shift to services. And of course, there is the inability to find enough workers, all while there were super low interest rates around the world and QT. Then came the war, which pushed energy prices sharply higher. And they were already high as the reopenings had caused a big increase in demand for energy. So this is kind of like phase two. Now we have global inflation rising at a clip that is way beyond all central banks' targets, except maybe Japan. And I know, Greg, you're an expert on Japan. So there is a risk now, certainly, of a global recession. It is not our base case scenario, but it's a possibility that can't be dismissed just given the uncertainty playing out around the world and the risk that inflation continues to rise. Jennifer, one of my favorite analogies for the global economy is to think of it like a big jumbo jet airplane that has four engines, two on each wing. So on the left wing, we have the U.S. economy and the Eurozone economy. And on the right wing, we have the Chinese economy as one engine, and then uh, the Asia ex-China economy as the other. From what I hear you saying, each one of those four engines is maybe generating a warning light or two. How many engines can go out before the plane crashes, so to speak? Could it fly on the U.S. engine alone? Well, let's hope that none of the engines fail. So China is slowing considerably right now, but we still expect growth. We expect policymakers to step in if they weaken even more so with more stimulus to support the economy. And there are plans to reopen in Shanghai, and I think that is key to how this economy performs for the rest of the year. I think the biggest engine that we have to keep an eye on will have to be the U.S., The probability of a recession in the next year or so is around 40%-ish. I don't think 2022 will be the year. There's still a lot of momentum, a lot of positive factors driving that plane. 
In particular, the U.S. consumer still has a lot of household savings, still strong wage growth, and that's all key to consumer spending. Now, what happens next year as that mountain of savings become less mountainous, if that's a word, and after a year of Fed rate hikes totaling about 275 basis points, then the possibility of a U.S. recession becomes that much more real. Let's switch channels a bit and talk about inflation. High inflation has become pretty much a global phenomenon over the past year. Jennifer, where do you see the problem as being the most acute? And how close are we to being at or past peak inflation in each of the major regions of the global economy? Greg, I think it's way too early to call for peak inflation. However, I will say that I was encouraged by the latest inflation readings uh, for April out of the U.S. They did not beat expectations. So yes, I know the bar is very low. But as Fed Chair Powell and the Cleveland Fed's master said recently, they need more compelling evidence, though, that inflation has peaked before they can rest. And a couple of months is just not going to cut it for them, nor should it. So for the U.S., we are looking for inflation to peak sometime in the second quarter at around 8%. Uh, for Canada, we're looking for inflation to peak also in the second quarter at around 7.5%. Now, Europe has a greater exposure to the surge in energy costs, so it might take a little later before it hits a peak of around maybe 7%, maybe a bit higher around mid-year, and maybe later. So the UK um, is a standout in a bad way. It's a big energy importer, which has obviously been a huge factor hitting household pocketbooks and businesses profitability lately. Now, the Bank of England is not the most accurate forecaster, and I'm saying that even with the saying of, you know, glass houses and stones, but uh, the bank is looking for inflation to peak much later than the rest of the major economies. It's looking for about 10% inflation in the fall as their energy regulator resets the cap on energy prices and again in October. 10%, you have to say that again. That's a crazy inflation figure to think about for the UK. So with inflation rates like that, it wouldn't be a shock, I don't think, to see at least a brief recession in the UK. And that's also the case in Germany, especially with a sudden impetus to move away from Russian energy, which is positive in the long run, but maybe not so much in the short run. So where we haven't seen such a huge run-up is in Japan. And that's kind of interesting given its high energy import intensity and the weak yen. When you're looking at core CPI, which excludes fresh food, that could actually hit the 2% target in April, but that would be just due to a technicality. A year ago, the government had slashed mobile phone fees. Back then, it was Prime Minister Suga who said that it was his belief that Japan's fees were way too high, so he wanted to slash the uh, the, the cell phone charges by about 20%. So that base effect is going to allow the core CPI to hit the target for the first time since 2015, but don't get too used to it because it's probably not going to last. Okay, uh, as we wind down here, let's put the inflation issue together with the growth issue. With inflation this hot, central banks around the world have no choice other than to continue tightening for now, even though they have to know that the global growth outlook is dimming in line with the forecasts uh, you laid out, Jennifer. So my last question is just how hard is it for them to pull off this feat? of bringing inflation back down to somewhere near their targets again without crashing the airplane or, or in other words, causing a recession? It's going to be really hard. It's the biggest risk right now. I would hate to be a central banker. Now, given the Fed and the Bank of Canada's seemingly unwavering intent to make up for lost time or righting or wrong, 
I think both banks are just going for neutral and beyond, and they want to hit it faster and sooner before they pause for breath. I'd like to focus on some of the key words that um, central bankers use these days. So from the Fed chair, he, I think he's borrowing from Bank of Japan's Kuroda these days. He said, quote, we'll not hesitate, unquote, to go higher if we have to on rates. If we have to go to levels higher than neutral, then we will. And they are been, they've been saying that they all move, quote, expeditiously, unquote. That's been the big word lately, just to describe the pace of rate hikes, the speed to go to more normal levels and beyond if they have to. But, you know, the Fed chair is seems quite confident that, uh, that they will avoid a recession. Now, from the Bank of Canada, Governor Macklem has been using the word forceful a lot. Uh, here's his other quote. We are committed to using our policy interest rate to return inflation to target and will do so forcefully if needed, end quote. So for both, I think the view is now that rates should rise as quickly as possible to neutral and probably beyond um, to adequately slow demand and to douse inflation. If they are going on a meeting-by-meeting basis, which they say they are, and are watching the data and using their good collective judgment, you know, with a little luck on the side, I think the hope is that a recession can be avoided. Wow. Jennifer, time has flown quickly. We're about at our target length for the podcast, and I think you've given our listeners a lot of good things to think about. Hopefully, we can get you back again at some point. Listeners, thank you for sticking with us and speak to you again soon. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. 
This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.